Welcome to Let's Play Business. everyone welcome to the let's play business podcast i am one of your hosts ben fowler and i am here with my co-host zuki please say hello hello guys i'm just zuki i don't have a surname i'm like Cher or madonna in case you didn't hear the first episode i work or i run a company called tele experiences uh, we provide gamification services to create better experiences boom you see the relevance zuki quickly tell everyone what you do but don't go on about it too long because most people i'm sure have listened to the first episode i'm zuki and i'm chief marketing officer at snake hive which is a leather accessories company and yeah that's what i do at marketing stuff speaking about business and games this isn't actually a segue at all how you doing how's your last couple of weeks been you know what ben this week it's been a lot of business and there's been not much games although um i do have to say that after um recording episode one i did go out and i did buy Monopoly deal. Did you? Yeah. Have you been playing it? I haven't played it once. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Game of the decade and you've chose not to play it once. What an inspiring sell I did. <laughs> but the intention's there, the intention's there. <laughs> anyway, that's what's going on with us and we do actually have a guest with us today. Very, very exciting. We have uh, a lovely chap called Chris Rhodes. Chris Rhodes, hello there. Hello, how are you doing? Very good, very good. Uh, how are you doing? How do you, how do you feel to be on the, the second episode of this podcast and our first guest? I am uh, honoured to be the inaugural guest on the podcast, so yeah, looking forward to it. It's great to have you, Chris. I just want to reiterate that I was the inaugural guest. Um... <laughs> guest slash co-host, excellent. So Chris, tell us what it is you do. Who are you professionally and personally? Professionally, I am the uh, Operations Director for the Tech Department. We're a uh, software development company focused on developing custom software to help businesses improve and unlock their potential. So yeah, basically I'm in charge of making that actually happen. You know, making sure we're actually doing what we've said we've done, delivering our promises to our clients and turning the founders' ideas into reality. If you were to give yourself, you know, Chris Rhodes a score out of 10 on that, what, what would you give yourself? Probably give ourselves a 9 out of 10 actually. On delivering our clients' promises, I'd probably give us a 7 out of 10 on not killing ourselves in the process. So that's the next stage. <laughs> and you reside in Sheffield, I believe, Chris? I do, yes. Uh, you can probably tell from the accent that I'm not native to Sheffield. Been here for uh, four years or so, I think. What, uh, what inspired the move? Being fed up with living in London in a tiny, tiny little flat, basically. Nothing wrong with that. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> I love my tiny little flat. <laughs> <laughs> so the way this is going to work, level one, game of the decade. We're going to be talking about our favourite game and how that relates to business. And then level two, ding goes the interview, where we're going to be grilling our guest on some top-notch game and business-themed questioning. And then finally, to wrap it all up, level three, game my problem, where we'll be taking one of your business problems and coming up with games to solve it. It's super effective. Level one, game of the decade. Welcome everyone to game of the decade, the first round of the podcast. Zuki, I believe it is your turn this episode to reveal the game of the decade. Okay, so this game of the decade, uh, it's a game that encourages acting over reacting. It's a game that teaches foresight, long-term planning, patience and rigor. 
And it's a game that really is practically synonymous with strategic organizational leadership. Our game of the decade is... Do you want to guess, Ben? Chris, do you want to have a stab? What do you, what do you think this is? I don't know why, but charades has popped into my head. Wow! <laughs> I was going to say Risk, but I feel like this is going to be a really low-key game and Risk is way too high. Key. Absolutely not, Ben. Risk was a contender for Game of the Decade, but not, not this time. The Game of the Decade is Chess. Chess is a good game. I feel like we had to give it a shout out at some point, but it's obviously one of the oldest and most respected um, and studied games there is. So last episode, we talked a lot about Shithead, which I praise for being a game of imperfect information. Whereas with chess, it's like perfect information. So everyone's got all the information that there possibly is. And that's obviously not how the real world of business works. But what I find really interesting about chess and the reason I've given it um, Game of the Decade is because there is just so much information at hand when you're playing a game of chess that you have to start to make some assumptions. Your brain can't comprehend all the different moves that could possibly happen. So you start to make some assumptions and those assumptions might be about how what your opponent's going to do and it might be based on how skilled they are or how rational they are or you know how good you are even. And that kind of mimics a lot of business decisions and business assumptions. And in business, things often go wrong because you're either too focused on the short-term problems that are in front of you and you're not thinking about the long-term, which is obviously the way you have to play chess. But you also, you're faced with so much information that you get overwhelmed and you make bad decisions, which is really where people struggle. So becoming practiced at chess basically means becoming practiced at business. It encourages you to think about the long term. Uh, you have to be willing to make short term sacrifices, such as sacrificing a pawn in, in, in pursuit of the long term game. You know, the client piece of work that, that lands on your lap where you think, oh, we could do this, but it's going to stretch us so much. And it means you're not going to get all this done in the long term. So we're actually going to pass on this. We're going to sacrifice this pawn. Exactly. It's the 80-20 rule, the Pareto principle, you know, like or 80% of your revenue will come from 20% of your business, but you get distracted by the other stuff. And it also encourages, you know, to have an understanding of human behavior, where people's faults are, people's irrationalities or rationalities. You know, that's obviously something you have to think about in business. And it encourages you to be rigorous in your analysis But you also have to acknowledge that when you're playing a game of chess, there is too much information available for one mind to process. So you have to make some assumptions and you have to just make some decisions. And again, going back to the old analysis paralysis problem, that's something that businesses often face. You try and understand too many things when in reality you're never going to have all the information. So you just got to work with what you got. I think just picking up on the point you made, I think the point around short and long term strategy is genuinely a really important one in chess because I've definitely done this so many times in chess where I I tend to gravitate towards thinking too much about the long-term strategy actually and then I miss something glaring in front of me I've been so focused on like a long-term strategy that I forgot about the fact that everything doesn't stay still where I'll make my move completely forget about something else going on and they'll like react in a way I completely didn't expect or take a piece or something like that and I'll be like oh god like I've made all of these carefully articulated plans and now they're all just you know, to, to dust. And I think that's a very interesting analogy in business in that, I don't know if you've ever seen this, Chris, where you try and plan out like the perfect route. You're like, you know, here's the end goal and this is the perfect route. This is how we're going to get there over 10 years. Because people have end goals in like the business strategies and things like that. And that's valid. But I think what people sometimes try and do is plot the exact course to that end goal over the course of a really long time and then life happens in between and then it's just thrown in the bin within a year because it's like well that was ridiculous like we couldn't keep to that at all I don't know if you've seen anything like that Chris or if that you know strikes a chord oh definitely I mean I think probably for those kind of long-term plans if they last six months they're doing pretty well really it's like the idea between like a vision or a goal and then actually the map to get there and it's like yeah you can have a goal which is I don't know you want to grow by a certain amount but if you're like well we're going to grow by this amount by 
doing exactly these 50 steps over the next five years and it's going to rely on it's just never going to work just thinking about this chess analogy as well because because when you think of chess as well it's very much like one opponent against another so i'm thinking of examples in the kind of very public business space of classic you know x company versus x company so like iphone versus samsung type thing where it is a little bit like watching a chess match play out in public if that makes sense things like you know when's our release date is our release date ahead of theirs or they've like plotted the perfect plan to a product release that is going to just blow that competitor out the wall like it's all good we've mapped it out two years to develop this product and be perfect and in that two years the competitor makes a series of moves they didn't anticipate all of a sudden that perfect product that they were about to release they have to like suddenly massively bring it forward because they haven't like they basically forgot about the fact that there is another opponent facing them that is also looking at what they're doing and reacting to I it. I can't remember which version it was. I think it was the PlayStation 4 and the Xbox One where they had, I think it was PlayStation just came out of nowhere in advance that it was going to be backwards compatible for all the previous, it was going to play all the PS3 games. Check. And Microsoft didn't have that and had made a point of saying that it wasn't and almost trying to plug it like it was a feature that it wasn't. And then PlayStation just completely blew it out of the water. And then I think they scrambled and then completely changed their minds and backtracked on it. It was just, yeah, they obviously had this kind of whole narrative planned out and then it just got completely disrupted. Yeah interesting oh chess good one good one zuki chess that's uh that's a solid game of the deck i mean it's no monopoly deal obviously <laughs> for anyone who's interested in chess but thinks they might find it a little bit dull when when the world opens up again there is a great sport called chess boxing which combines chess with boxing uh it is my favorite spectator sport if, you, if there is a sport worth watching in the real world it is chess boxing um so i'd very much recommend it Level two, ding goes the interview. Welcome back, everyone. Welcome back. It is ding goes the interview time. Another classic round title. So the premise of this, it's time for us to put Chris in the hot seat, understand, you know, his knowledge about games and business and how he feels there's lessons to draw there. Now, we will, of course, be rewarding Chris for everything he says, where each time he says something insightful, we will award him a ding and then we'll count up the dings at the end. He'll go on our leaderboard and forever stay there. So, are you ready, Chris, to embark on this interview adventure? Let's go. And if you were to guess how many dings you think you're going to get, what would what, you reckon? Let's go with ten. I don't know if that's I don't know if that's high or low. I have no baseline, so let's just let's just go out there. Ten dings. Ten dings. Hear the sound of my pen clicking, everyone. It's on the <laughs> mic. I'm gonna go ten dings is what chris is saying well i mean there's two of us scoring i, I think that's reasonable if you don't get 10 dings i'll be disappointed to be honest no pressure at all. right time for the first question chris so first question of course has to be what is your favorite ever game and why so 10 dings is it may, might be a bit difficult now because my favorite game is chess oh i could just pretend something else is my favorite game but i'm gonna i'm gonna stick with it and see if i can somehow add some more insight on top of that so yeah so chess is yeah it's my favorite game i, I guess i almost have to pick it because it's probably the game i've played the most of for a stupid reason when i was younger it was my favorite game because there's no luck involved in a horrible competitive little boy kind of way when i won my opponent could ever go eh, you're just lucky which used to drive me nuts if you win at monopoly or something yeah oh no you were just lucky can't really say that when you play chess. Very hard to win by luck. That's a really good point. That's it, yeah. And I think one of the things that's quite interesting about it is that there's kind of a resilience component because like all good games, it's easy to learn but difficult to master. The only way you get better is by playing people who are better than you at it, which means you just lose all the time at the start. 
possibly this this translates to sort of your career and business as well as you 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 just think you've got to a level where you're really good and then you realize there's so much more to learn yes 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 so you know it's like you come out of university you're all cocky you get your first job and you're like oh, okay yeah i don't know anything or i know it i know loads about some tangentially related subject that's just but i don't actually know anything about like following up on emails properly or whatever it is and then you kind of nail the basics and then something else comes along and it's like oh there's a whole load more to learn and it's like that I mean, the learning curve is is pretty steep there, and you can think you're really good, and then suddenly you play someone who's just so much better than you that it's you just get the floor wiped with you. It's like you've gone from like kicking the ball around with your mates to like actually going and playing against like a, a county football team when you were at school or something. Yeah, I strongly resonate with that because I, I think I remember in the early days of starting this business, I remember being on the phone to Zuki, I think. And I think I remember saying to him that starting a business has felt like one long lesson and realizing how I know absolutely fuck all. Every time you feel like, you know, this area, I know a bit about it now. Either you realize, you know, actually barely anything about that area, or you do know a bit, but another area you know need to know about. Yeah, great, you know a bit about that, but you know absolutely nothing about me. And now you need to know about me as well. And it's just like, wow, I know nothing. I know, I know a little bit, I know a tiny bit, but I know absolutely nothing in the grand scheme of things. So you mentioned earlier as well about chess, like you think you're really good and then you play someone who's just so much better and you just get like completely destroyed in the game. And I'd be interested to know what you feel that teaches you, particularly, you know, in a business sense about like picking yourself back up because in chess, you basically just have to accept if you want to get better, you have to be willing to get knocked down like again and again and again and get thrashed sometimes after, as you say, thinking that you're like, half decent like i'd be curious to to get your take on that there's i guess there's a sort of resilience about it to just pick yourself up again after things have gone wrong and that definitely applies to business because things go wrong all the time that is a bit of an ego hit when you come into a you know a new career or something the first time something goes wrong that's a really really stings and there's different ways of dealing with that and so with chess the only way to get better is to play people who are better than you but the only way to get better is also to reflect on what went wrong. And it's like, well, where did it go wrong? Why are they, why are they better than me? What is it they do that makes them better than me? That's sort of applies straight across the business. It's like, okay, it went wrong, fine. But it's like, well, okay, why did that happen? And what can I do to do it better next time? And there's an element I quite like in chess as well, which is almost the concept of back to basics. I think this is a bit like what we were talking about earlier with the long-term goal and then the short-term sort of tactics. There are certain principles that are kind of core to everything you do in chess. Like at the start, you try to improve the position of your pieces, develop them, get them out on the board, reducing the amount of pieces your opponent has, the amount of material they've got. And there's these kind of basic things you look, well, not basic, but these things you start to look for. And there's a kind of, there's like a discipline to that. The discipline of once you train yourself to do that the whole time, and it just becomes a habit. It's like the kind of discipline is freedom thing. You know, it's a bit of a cliche, but once you've got the basics nailed, that can, and you don't really have to think about them, that gives you the freedom to kind of be creative. And that's where you can plan your kind of ridiculous trap where you're going to checkmate your opponent. Chris, I'm going to be real with you. I've just dropped a one, two, three ding right there. There were layers of insight there. But I think you're right. It's this, it's this whole notion of simplify, simplify. And the more that you can, can simplify the game and kind of strip things back to a kind of more basic model of playing, the more beneficial that will be to you. Applying that thinking to the business world again, it, that's where a lot of companies uh, fall down is because they layer on complexity, often by going into decisions or, you know, expanding into new markets, new product lines, new whatever it might be. And, and they do that without necessarily considering the complexity side of things and how that has an impact on the business. Yeah. 
Good choice. You, you know, you've brought more insight to the chess game there, Chris. Absolutely no problem with it being game of the decade and your choice. I like you, Chris. I think you and I, we're going to get on. When the pubs are open, let's hang out. <laughs> play Definitely, some chess. Yeah. We play some chess, yeah. <laughs> so, Chris, next question. Can you name a challenging moment in your career and tell us any skills that you think maybe games helped you develop that helped you to overcome that moment? Yes. So, challenging moment in a career. Started a, um, a new role. Not my current job. Not my current employer, even. Just caveat that quickly. I'd worked in-house marketing for a couple of years and hated it. Absolutely hated it. And was desperate to get out and get back to kind of doing client-side stuff. So, I got this account management job. I got the impression that originally they were looking for someone sort of different, maybe a bit more kind of schmoozy, polished, salesy kind of account manager, but they went with me because he liked me. So he's taken a punt on this. So I was like, right, okay, so no pressure. So I go in and on my first day, I get handed my client list. There was a like a, a red, amber, green rating on all of the clients as to how risky the account was. They didn't need the green. There was no green on it. Sounds there. like account management. Oh, honestly, I've basically been handed a, a hand grenade without a pin in it and just been told to sort this out. It's like, can you, can you put it back in before it explodes? It's not a sort of small job on your first day. Like, I mean, just generally kind of from a games perspective, sort of from playing video games particularly, you're used to being overwhelmed. There's one game in particular, there's a series of games, sort of strategy games that I quite like, the, um, the Total War series of video games that are historical strategy games. And there's one in particular where you, the hardest thing you can do on it is you can play as the Western Roman Empire at the fall of the Western Roman Empire, so like Attila the Hun and all of that. Now, if there's an ever overwhelming situation, anyone who's any even a third of a history nerd with me that knows that that doesn't end very well for the Western Roman Empire, you've got a lot of challenges. You need to focus on what's really essential like, and what can you sacrifice and what can't you sacrifice. So I'm sitting here with this list of 25 clients and I look down it and to be blunt, the first thing you did is you look at the value of each one. What's each one worth to the business? Which ones, if I lose them, am I going to get sacked for? But that kind of essentialism approach, I think, applies. There's a world of abundance. There's lots of things you could do, but what's what's absolutely essential to do? I, I, I like that. And there's also the kind of acknowledgement that you're going to receive that client list, but it's almost like a relief if you look at that from the outset and acknowledge, when I was trying to save the Western Roman Empire, I knew I was going to have to make sacrifices. And looking at this, I know that I'm not going to save these 25 clients. And you can have that conversation up front and be like, look, we're not gonna save all of these, but the ones that we're gonna save the important ones. Looking um, at the, the game example there, it's like, okay, yeah, it'd be nice to hold on to Britain, for example, you know, because the Romans didn't, it'd be nice to, nice to show history, but if I lose control of North Africa, we're gonna starve, because that's where all our grain comes from. And out of curiosity, therefore, when you played the Western Roman Empire at the football, its fall, what, what approach did you take? What, what, what did you do? My route to victory was to sacrifice areas where I was overextended, consolidate my resources on areas that I knew that I could turn around and be profitable. The strategy there was to was to kind of fall back, defend what could be defended, build that up, grow, and then expand again at a point where you're strong enough to. See, interestingly, I feel like if we had just taken that segment you just said and not told anyone, if we just if we just played someone that segment and not told anyone it was about a total war game or anything like that, you could absolutely just be talking about a business right now. Like you absolutely could be. If I listened to that without any of the context, I would think that you're just talking about a business just in a slightly quirky way. Like it's so, it's such a metaphor. It's so relatable, it's unreal. Chris Rhodes, you're hired. Bit of a change of question here. So if you were a hero in a game, what kind of hero would you be? What kind of character? What would your what would your traits be? What would your special abilities be? That's a that's an interesting one. I don't know what the word for it is. Like, say like a thing like a real time strategy game or a SimCity or something like that. The 
the commander. They're not they're not the emperor, they're not the king, they're not the whoever. They're they're the one who actually like the number 2. Yeah, like the sort of one who goes in and actually has to make it happen. You get the kind of, you get the crappy briefing which you know doesn't have all the information you need in it. And you get told to go off and do something and then you have to go and and deal with whatever happens along the way. You get the kind of badly sketched out map and then you have to go out and work out what the territory is actually on the ground and you know where the where the bears are and where the the fast flowing river is and kind of navigate your way across it. I can tell you work in operations, Chris. This is <laughs> you're in the right job, my friend. <laughs> it makes it sound a lot more exciting than it really is when you talk about it like that. <laughs> have you drawn inspiration for any particular kind of game character you know, any particular game character or like, yeah, that character in that game in particular or anything like that? I'm thinking about like Age of Empires and things like that. It's almost like the role the player the character the player is. You've got someone at the top who's giving you these missions and you've got to You've got to go and kind of handle them. But um, the reason I'm thinking that real-time strategy games is you you need to know the detail but not be lost in it. So it's like you need to know that, I don't know, your villager takes X amount of time to collect the wood or something, but you don't need to know like what kind of axe he's using. I'm thinking things like like Tropico, if you've ever played that. Oh, I've not played it, but I've heard about it. You're building a country, basically. And it's like, okay, you might need 10 people to build this factory and they need 20 units of food, but you don't need to know like what time they take their lunch breaks and what time they clock on in the morning. It's that kind of balance between, um, I heard this described the other day, as between like the difference between micromanaging and being micro aware. So it's like you're aware of everything that's going on, but you're kind of just trusting that it's happening and you're not, you're not detailing all the little tasks. You're that kind of layer in between. Yeah, yeah. I've not heard that one before. That's a good one. Yeah, I thought I quite liked it. I can't remember where I heard it, heard it now, but uh, unfortunately... <laughs> you could have a ding for it, though. We'll, we'll, we'll give you that. That's an interesting challenge to go through. Is like from You're not in control of like the vision or the strategy or anything like that. You're, you're in control of what you're doing day-to-day to deliver this task, to giving up that kind of control and then being responsible for both the direction, but also for making sure people have what they need to do it so that you're kind of enabling people to cover it for you. Right, Chris. Final question, final question, and it is, have you seen any good examples of games and or game principles being used in the real world? I can think of one, in fact, this is something that I literally just saw the other day. So, you know, Strava, the app, obviously it's it's gamified to hell. You've got leaderboards, you've got all of that kind of stuff on it. There's just one particular thing I noticed on it the other day that cropped up. A specific thing they have which is called the local legend where they have kind of segments in it it's the person who's done that the most amount of times in like a 90-day period or something but i thought that was really interesting because that's really accessible because a lot of them it's about fastest you know doing it as fastest doing it the quickest beating your own time beating other people's time but this is something it's just like a perseverance thing it's the person who's done the, who's, who's just done this the most like they could be the slowest person i noticed this because i got one and i'm a pretty average runner i'm not going to be topping any leaderboards but i must have just done this a load of time. It's like the Strava equivalent of the participation trophy. It really is, yeah, yeah, it absolutely is. If you get it, and then it will notify you if someone's taking it off you, for example. So it's like, it's kind of encouraging people to go and go and use it again. And it's it's just kind of inherently accessible. I was sad to say I had like a genuine sense of achievement on it. And then I realized what it actually meant. I was like, well. <laughs> God loves a trier. <laughs> exactly, yeah. It's like, yeah, obviously they're, they're very good at that kind of thing. But I thought that one in particular was just quite a nice touch that it's it's quite clever and it's got a wider appeal than maybe a lot of the other kind of rewards and leaderboards and things they offer to sort of really sucker people in and get them to keep using it. Very good. Well, I've dinged you for that, definitely. That was a nice, nice way of looking at something heavily gamified and finding a, a new touch to it. 
before we move on to the final round, of course, we want to see how many dings you've managed to tally up, Chris. Ten, I believe. Ten dings from me. I'm just going to recount that just to make sure. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, nine, ten. Ten dings. How many have you got, Zuki? Ben, we've been remarkably consistent. I've got nine. Tasty. So, Chris, you're sitting, you're sitting pretty on 19 dings. Excellent. Long may it continue. Level three. Game my problem. So everyone, it's time for the final round, Game My Problem. We've uh, taken some emails in from some early listeners and they've emailed us their business problems and we're going to take a run at solving one of those business problems by creating a game in 60 seconds. Each one of us will create our own game, we'll present it back and hopefully you'll have the chance in some way to vote on those uh, in-between episodes. So uh, we've got someone called Alistair has, uh, has emailed into us and Alistair has said, Dear LPB, loving the acronym, uh, recently started a new job and it's quite tough. With all of us being virtual right now, getting to know new colleagues and getting integrated isn't easy. Can you suggest a way I can get to know all my colleagues better and integrate more effectively virtually? So, interesting challenge. Certainly a relatable one. 60 seconds. Are we ready? No. <laughs> Let's do it. <laughs> Let's do it. And your time starts now. Time up, no more jotting down, no more thinking. You have to shut off your brain now. You have to pretend that you can't remember anything about it. Zuki, I'm gonna make you go first. Can't make our guest go first. I haven't got a name for this game yet, um, but I'm gonna come up with one on the spot, which is gonna be uh, find my fellow colleague. <laughs> a lot of alliteration, but otherwise absolutely terrible. Okay, so here's how it works. Um, so you start off with your, I'm gonna say your line manager. They, you just like have a bit of an introduction with them. You need to know about what they're doing. In this introduction, uh, they're going to send you on a, uh, a treasure hunt to find the next person. So they'll give you some information about who this person is, some things that you might not know, a couple of hints that might point you towards the right person. And then what you have to do is you have to find out who this individual is and then have a, a Zoom call with them once you've, once you've found them, if you find, find them correctly. Um, learn a little bit more about them, fill in some blanks. And in that Zoom call, they will give you some clues to figure out who the next person you have to meet is. Um, and then you go around doing this and then eventually you find the last person at that point, I don't know, you get you get your Christmas bonus or something. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> That's when you run out of time. And just to confirm, sorry, are you playing this as the like new starter and then you're given a couple of clues about one of the existing staff members, find them, move on to the next, the next, etc. Yes. So it's basically a way of meeting the people on your team that you need to be working with. But the game element is that instead of just being given the information, you're given like snippets of the information you have to figure out from the org chart or how it is who that might who that person is and how they might fit with you and then when you actually find them you can have like a conversation and the point of that conversation really is to give you the next set of clues but you can use that the two of you to have a bit of an intro and figure out to build up some rapport and talk about the game and how cool it is and all that stuff <laughs> and how you heard it on a podcast yeah so yeah that's um that's fine my fellow colleague i was gonna say i need to write that down i actually really like that <laughs> I actually do genuinely quite like that. That's not a structure I would have thought of before. It's almost like a murder mystery. I'll go next and then Chris, you can wrap us up with your one. Okay, I've come up with a name now. It's called Newborn Bingo. I don't know what the newborn bit is about, to be honest. So what happens is when you start, um, you're given a card where you have to find out like information uh, about different people. It might be like Derek's 
favourite dinner or the embarrassing thing that Derek did at the away day last year or you know something like that and then you need to complete your bingo card so you need to go round and like complete it by finding out different things marking them off crossing it off etc also current employees also have a bingo card where they have to mark off things about you to encourage them to also like speak to you as well and find off things about you but I actually really like this idea there are lots of people starting so you can imagine you get a batch of new starters and they each have a bingo card because then it's like a race for who completes their bingo card first newborn bingo I love it Ben I'm surprised I didn't go with newbie bingo yeah I, I think that that may be what I was thinking and I got my words tangled but it's too late I'm committed now newborn bingo it is Chris your turn I've gone with mystery colleague which is a terrible name but let's let's see <laughs> you could have two versions of this depending if it's one person starting or if it's a whole load of people starting so assuming it's one person starting you get all the existing team to write down a couple of things about themselves I don't know you've got a team lunch or something at the end of the week and before that point, the newbie has to go around, talk to everybody, and try and work out who each of those, which person each of those statements applies to. You've got your team lunch at the end of the week, and you reveal it, and then see how well they do. Um, I don't know if they get over half of them right, they get bought lunch next time, or if they don't, if, if they fail miserably, they have to buy everybody a drink when they get into the office uh, when everyone's allowed into the meetup again. Will they be trying to guess who they think, you know, matches the different like traits or things? Or will they like seek them out and try and clarify? Or is it just based on like your judgment of that person? Like, yeah, I think that's them. I think it's based on like you. So you get given these things and then you speak to everybody. You could try different approaches. You could just upfrontly ask, is this you to everybody? Um, it might make a slightly awkward social interaction. Or you just kind of talk to people and try and work it out and then make a sort of judgment based on that. I think if you did it that way around, it'd be more entertaining at least i can't remember what that game is but there's that game where you can't say the words that are on the card but you've got to describe it using other words oh is taboo is it? yeah taboo i think that's it it could be something along those those lines where the people in the team it's against their interest to like share the information directly uh but they can allude to stuff that helps you to figure it out or you know allude to stuff about other people or whatever it might be yeah yeah that'd be good those are the free games. So just to, to reconfirm those great game names as well. So we've got Let's Find My Fellow Colleague, Newborn Bingo, and Mystery Colleague. I think we're all getting points for originality and game names there. Please feel free to take that into your workplace now. I think they're ready made and good to go as far as I'm concerned. Uh, otherwise, listeners, please get in touch. We're going to work out a way to formally score this. But at the very least, feel free to email in saying what game you think is best and why. That brings us to the end of this episode of Let's Play Business. So Chris, it has been fabulous to have you on. Uh, have you enjoyed yourself? Has it been everything you expected? I have, yeah. Thanks very much. It's been uh, good fun. It's been interesting. Do you feel like you now know more about the potential of games in business? I do, yeah. Yeah, definitely. I think um, the more you think about it, the more the more kind of parallels you draw and the more you realise how interrelated it all is. We've been saying this for a long time, Chris. You know, we're over here at Let's Play Business. We've been, we've been really beating that drum. <laughs> Clues in the name of the podcast, really. Thank you, listeners, for joining us. You can subscribe. You can share this with one of your colleagues who you think might also enjoy this podcast. Just shout about us, like, loads, really. Just don't do much else if possible. That would be wonderful. Otherwise, we'll see you at the next episode of our next guest, TBC. Get your eyes peeled. Goodbye, everyone. I've got a sign-off that I want to start using. Thank you for playing business. That's good, right?